Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Let me uh, share with you a couple of things before we move into the uh, the scriptures and into the sermon. Uh, We continue the work in in Rolling Fork uh, in Tornado Recovery. Um, Got folks up there this morning. Folks have been there every day from our church family, but uh, you know, from everywhere, but uh, from our church family, folks have been there every day since uh, the night that it struck. There There were folks from our church that were there at midnight that Friday night uh, after the tornado hit. And we've been there every, every day since then and continue, folks are there this morning. So uh, thank you for those that have been able to go. And if you can go, I encourage you to go. I know that not everybody can do that. Work, responsibilities, family, maybe just health and things like that. You cannot go. And so we sure understand that. But I would just strongly encourage you that if you can go uh, to try to make it make it over to Rolling Fork at least sometime here in the next few weeks. I don't know how long we're going to be there. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with a really prime location right in the middle of town to do some serious ministry, and that's what's been going on. And, and uh, he's, he's just pouring in supplies to us and to a lot of people all over the place, and so we're thankful for that. But it's just an opportunity for us to, as folks keep saying, uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to, to, to go and to give and to show, share and show the love of Christ. And that's, that's simply what is going on. And if you can go and pray with somebody, you can go hand some food out to somebody, give a case of water to somebody. If you can run a chainsaw, there'll be chainsaw work to do. If you can, if you got some equipment that you can take, a lot of y'all have that kind of equipment and a lot of y'all have responded with that kind of equipment up there. Uh, but it just, it, it, it continues to go, move forward. Uh, Mark Sandifer, last, this past Wednesday, had the opportunity to uh, share a meal with a, a man who came to the tent to get a hamburger from us. And somebody had written a scripture verse on top of the, the styrofoam box that the hamburger was in. And so he sat down to eat, and Mark talked to him a little bit. And in the course of their conversations, the man ate his hamburger. Mark shared the gospel with him, and the man gave his life to Christ. And so... We give the glory to the Lord for that, but there's, there are plenty of opportunities to, uh, to, to serve the Lord there and roll in for it. So I hope that you will take that opportunity. If you can't, certainly just continue to pray as we continue to seek the Lord's direction and wisdom. It's an everyday thing. Okay, God, what do you need for us to do today? We kind of have a general idea, but when we get there, Lord, what do you need for us to do today? And we just go and start doing it. So... If you can go, uh, go. And if you need some more information, come see me. Uh, I would tell you to talk to Mark today, but he is in Arlington, Texas, with a group of about 15 of our people from our church that are at Mission Arlington today in Arlington, Texas. Right now, probably right now, they are beginning to do some, uh, some Bible studies with some people in apartment complexes around Arlington, Texas. And uh, so pray for that group. They've, been, they, they've left Friday and uh, will be out there and come home uh, this, this evening sometime. So be in prayer for them as they continue to work there. I texted Will Lawrence this morning, who would normally be, he and Tanya are kind of leading that group. He, they would normally be here in this service with us today. I texted him this morning just to ask how it was going. And uh, let, me just, let me just share with you his response uh, to me this morning. It really blessed my heart. He said, uh, 
Greetings and blessings from, te- from the Texas mission fields. He said, as I told Mark yesterday, we are making God grin today. We went to an apartment complex yesterday morning and had a children's backyard Bible study. Sawyer Bennett, who would be here this morning as well with Ian, they're out there. Sawyer Bennett laid down the gospel for a group of about eight or ten kids. That little man can preach, and he can. Pray for Tamika. She is a single mom of several children who needs God's strength. So right now, Lord, we pray for Tamika. We'll ask us to do that. So we lift her up to you right now. He said, then we spent the afternoon serving on the grounds of Mission Arlington. Uh, We worked food pantry and donations. John, there was a steady traffic all day of folks dropping off donations. I've never seen anything like it. And that's why I'm so glad they're out there because it'll blow you away. We would help sort the donations and then get it on the shelves in the distribution center so we were all able to work each part of the process. As quick as stuff comes in the back door, it blesses someone and goes out the front door. An incredible, gracious, joyful process to be a part of. We have a great group here here and have enjoyed being the hands and feet of Jesus, just loving on people, man, making God grin. And then he said, lastly, there's a Taylor Swift concert in town this weekend, so we may need to stay several more days as there are serious ministry needs there. Ha ha. So anyway, uh, (laughs) so, uh, but continue to pray for that group out there. Um, One of the reasons I'm so glad they're there, because you go out there and you see what Mission Arlington does, and then you you get a picture, and God begins to work, like I know he's doing right now, of what he can do here. We won't do it like Mission Arlington is doing it. But certainly there's some things that they're doing that are going to speak to those folks there and they're going to bring it, that back here and be able to implement as we continue to try to uh, make much of Jesus here in Flora and God give us Flora as we continue to pray. So anyway, that's, what, that's what's going on. So Lord, we pray for the Mission Arlington group too. Lord, you bless them. And whoever's enrolled in Fork this morning, God, bless them today too. Amen. Hey, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. I'm going to invite Randy Cotton to come up and join me. Uh, Randy's going to help me read scripture this morning. We're going to read the entire chapter. And so I thought maybe it would be a little bit helpful if we broke it up with a couple, of, a couple of us reading today. It's page 903 in the Pew Bible if you need to use a copy of God's Word uh, from the Pew Rack there in front of you. John chapter 17. And would you stand please as we read this chapter together. <clears throat> When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that uh, you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth that I came from you, Mm -hmm. and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine is yours, and yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with you, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, word has, the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For, and for their sake, I concentrate, consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in you. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Pray with me. Father, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to us as you have spoken through your Son today, Lord, in this prayer. So help us today as we hear from you to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy. You know, the last several weeks in our midweek refresh service, uh, we have had some awesome times of corporate prayer. I hope that you know now after a little over three years of being your pastor that I believe in the importance of corporate prayer. I believe in prayer. Uh, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the one to whom we pray. Amen. And, uh, but I believe in the importance of corporate prayer. The people of God coming together to pray. But we have had some powerful times here in recent weeks. It's just been amazing of corporate prayer as we have gathered on Wednesday nights here in this place uh, to cry out to the Lord and we spend some time praising the Lord together. We spend time confessing our sin to the Lord. And then we begin to intercede for a whole lot of people. Intercession means that you stand in the gap for somebody. That's what you do when you intercede for somebody. You're standing in the gap for them. And so we do that. And some of those people have been present in our services. We pray for people in the service who need prayer. And we take the time to do that. But then also we pray for people who are not present in that service, we pray for those whose marriages and families are struggling. We pray for people who have physical illnesses and sickness and things like that. Pray for healing. Our God is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so we call out to Him for healing for those people. We have certainly been praying for 
tornado victims this past Wednesday night. We spent time praying for tornado victims. We prayed this past Wednesday night for the families of the victims of the the Nashville school shooting that happened this past week. And we prayed for the family of the person that did the shooting. Uh, We prayed for them this past Wednesday night, right in the middle of our service uh, as we were singing. My phone vibrated. I try to remember. I think I put it on silent today. I try to remember to put it on silent. My phone vibrated. A lot of times I don't look, but I did. I grabbed my phone to see what was going on and got a text message right in the middle of the service. One of our church families, Rodney and Jenny Mullen, who go to the refuge service at 11 o'clock, Rodney and Jenny Mullen, while we were in refresh Wednesday night, their house was burning down. Uh, And so we stopped right then and prayed for them and prayed for the tremendous loss that they were experiencing while we were in this service. And then after the service, we went and several of us went and were able to go and minister to them. There's something powerful and moving and special about hearing people pray. Now listen, I know that it's, a, it's, a, it's good to pray silently, and, and we do that a lot. But I'll tell you something, there's something special about hearing people pray. Now I know that not everybody feels comfortable praying in public, and so we don't ever try to force people to pray. I don't, I don't think that's a, uh, necessarily a good thing. Sometimes I've, I've leaned that direction, specifically with people who are leaders in our church and things like that. I believe that Deacons and folks that are leaders in the church ought to be folks that would pray publicly and corporately and out loud. But, but usually the people that won't pray out loud, the reason they don't pray out loud, and maybe this is you, is because we don't really think we know how to pray. Or we don't know how to pray pretty prayers. You know what I'm saying? We don't know how to put the words together. We don't, we don't know how to pray those impressive prayers that we hear some people praying and I want to put your mind at ease about that. Can I tell you something? God does not care if you can pray prayers that sound like you are a seminary trained theologian. He doesn't care about that. He does not care if you use words like thee and thou. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, how many of you speak old English in your everyday language? I mean, in Flora, Mississippi, I don't think you're going to hear many folks around Flora, Mississippi saying things like this. Didst thou goeth turkey hunting upon yesterday morn? You ever heard anybody say that? You ever heard anybody say, I asked thee, wouldst thou like to proceedeth from this place unto railroad pizza where we might breaketh bread together, especially the dump truck pizza that they doth prepare for our blessed consumption. So you ever heard anybody say that? No. No. We don't talk like that. You ever go get a pizza? You going turkey hunting? Did you get, any, did you get a turkey? I'm going to tell you something. Why do we think that we've got to pray those fancy, pretty prayers back to God? Because I'm going to tell you something. Jesus made it abundantly clear, didn't he? When he was talking, right before he told them about the Lord's Prayer, he said, look, if you're standing up there trying to pray to impress them, folks, you just got your blessing. That's as far as your prayer is going to go. That's as far as your blessing is going to go. And you get up there and babble on with all these words. You think Jesus made that clear that 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 doesn't matter to God. In fact, it's an abomination to God. He doesn't want to hear that kind of junk. Nothing wrong with using 
the old English, King James English, if you want to when you pray, but it's not required. Because if you're doing that and trying to impress people, you're praying for the wrong reasons and God's not listening. So listen to me. With that being said, with that being said, I want to say to you again that there is something very encouraging about hearing other people pray. About hearing people pray. Sometimes we learn how to pray by listening to other people pray. I told you, I've told you before that when I was a kid on Wednesday nights when we had our prayer meeting, the kids went to prayer meeting. <gasps> really? They can do that? The children would go to prayer meeting. And so my mom and daddy made sure that we were there with them in prayer meeting. We didn't go begrudgingly. We didn't, they didn't have to drag us kicking and screaming. We went to prayer meeting. And so we would sit there and occasionally our pastor would break us up into small groups. And our sanctuary was a, a long sanctuary with a, sing, a center aisle. And then in the back there were four Sunday school rooms that were divided by those accordion walls that you could pull together. And so Brother Hurt would say, okay, I want this group right here to go to that room. This group, these folks, y'all go to that room. Those folks, y'all go to the back room. And so I'd get up and I'd go to one of those Sunday school rooms and sit back there with about 10 uh, folks that were a whole lot older than me, my mom and my daddy and a bunch of other folks. And I would sit there and I would listen. The people pray. And guess what little Johnny Daniels learned how to do? I learned how to pray. And then sometimes little Johnny Daniels would actually sit there with those adults and he would voice a prayer because he had been listening. We are strengthened in our inner being, our inner spiritual lives when we hear people pray. We are encouraged and we are uplifted. Man, this past Wednesday night, I sent out a text, to, an email to my email prayer warrior group just telling you about some, this past week I was kind of run down and beat down and just struggling in my own personal life. Guess what your pastor does that from time to time? I struggle like you struggle. And I, I was trying not to have a pity party, but I needed to have some folks praying for me. And so I reached out to that group, and then when I got in here, Tom McClellan and some other guys said, John, before we get started tonight, we want to pray for you. And so the whole group went tonight, gathered up with me right down here, put their hands on me, and prayed over their pastor. Can I tell you something? I'm ready to attack hell with a water pistol after I hear people praying for me like that. Now imagine if you hear Jesus praying for you. The great Scottish pastor from days gone by, Robert Murray McShane. Isn't that a Scottish name? Robert Murray McShane. He lived to be 29 years old. Died of typhus. At the age of 29, there were 7,000 people at his funeral because of the impact he made for the kingdom of God. And this is what he said one time. If I could, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Well, guess what? The truth is we don't have to imagine hearing Jesus praying for us. He did pray for us, and he is praying for us. You just heard him pray for you. In John chapter 17, it's known as the high priestly prayer. And let me just tell you, the office of high priest was instituted by God when he gave Moses the law for the people. And the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifices that would temporarily cover the sins of the people. And he would pray for them. And 
And all of that, the high priest entering into the Holy of Holies and offering sacrifice, all of that pointed down the road to a man named Jesus who would show up as the ultimate high priest and give himself as the ultimate sacrifice to permanently cover our sins. No more temporary forgiveness. Because our high priest has come. And when Jesus came, he offered himself as the ultimate perfect sacrifice for all of our sins for all time. And the church said, Amen. That's what he did. It wasn't a temporary covering for our sins. It was the complete once for all sacrifice for all the sins of all mankind for all time. That's what the word of God tells us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 says, under this new plan, we have been forgiven and made clean by Christ dying for us once and for all. I love the fact that Alan led us in singing about the cross this morning. He and I were talking this past week and he said, what you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on John chapter 17. He said, well, we're going to be singing about the cross. And I said, man, that's a great thing for us to sing about. And so we have done that to talk about and to sing about this one who is our high priest and gave himself as a sacrifice on that cross. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. Jesus, the ultimate perfect sacrifice, and he's the ultimate perfect high priest. Because only Jesus can intercede for us, stand in the gap. Only Jesus can stand in the gap for us. Only Jesus can be the sacrifice. He's the only one who could pay that price. Only he, Jesus, could take our place. And that's exactly what he did because... Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest. What's his name? We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So listen to this, y'all. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Have you been weak this week sometime? Have you struggled with temptation sometime this sin? Have you given in to temptation sometime this sin? Raise your hand if you sin sometime this week. Raise your hand. Okay, almost everybody's hands up. All right, we got some perfect people in here. But other than that, I mean, Jesus understands our weaknesses. He understands. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He didn't give in to the temptations like we did this past week. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So after his last supper with his disciples, that's where we are in this story now with this high priestly prayer. We're almost to the cross that we sang about this morning. He just finished up the Last Supper with his disciples and right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before the betrayal by Judas, right before the arrest, right before the abuse at the hands of the Romans, right before the nails were driven through his hands and feet and and the thorn of crowns pounded upon his head, right before all of that, he lifted his face toward heaven and he voiced this incredible prayer. Can you imagine what, what that meant to these disciples? He had just told them Somebody just texted me, I think it was Cheryl Ross that texted me 
yesterday and said, hey, look, I want you to know about my life verse. One of her, she said, one of my life verses is John 3.30, which is the same one that I've got. But then she also said this, the other one is this, that right before John 17, John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you in this world that, that you may have peace. Because in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He just said that to them, and then he looked toward heaven and began to pray for them. It wasn't just silent prayer just between me and God. It wasn't a every head bowed, every eye closed kind of prayer. It was a head up, eyes open, looking toward the heavens, crying out to the Father. A bold, powerful, moving prayer that had to have blown these disciples away to hear Jesus praying for them like this. Praying for the glory of God to be seen in him and in them. Praying for their protection in the midst of the coming persecution. Praying for his joy to be manifested in them. Praying for their mission into the world and their consecration to that mission. And after he prayed for the disciples, he prays for us. And the application of this message today is knowing that Jesus prayed for us is a great encouragement for us to live for him. Knowing that he prayed for us is a great encouragement for us to live for him. I stopped by the fire station this past week. Ian Bennett was on duty and so I stopped by there just to check on him, talk with him a little bit. And He's one of my email prayer warriors and he said, man, when I saw that... You were preaching John chapter 17. It was like, how in the world is he going to preach that whole chapter? I said, well, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I can. So I'm just going to focus on that last section where Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for us. Number one, he prayed for our security. Our security, verses 14 through 16. You back up, and this is where he's actually praying for his disciples. But certainly we can make application as Randy read, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world and I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them while they're in the world. So what Jesus said, man, it, he does not tell us that we're not going to have trouble. In fact, he had just said you're going to have trouble. But he is saying, because we know that. We know that the trouble is still going to come. Tornadoes are still going to come. School shootings are still going to happen. Houses still burn down. Temptation still comes. We still sin. Cancer still ravages bodies. The world is still going to hate us, scream at us, assault us, rage against us, attack us, and ostracize us. And do you not see that happening right now? The church, don't stick your head in the sand and think that just because we live in Florida, Mississippi, we're going to be insulated from all that. That's not going to happen. We will be attacked. Don't know what form that attack is going to happen. But if, now, now, if you want to just kind of go into this kick it into cruise control kind of wimpy Christian expression, expression of your Christian life, go ahead and the world ain't going to care about you. But for those of us that make a determination that we're going to live for Christ, we are going to continue making much of Jesus, then the world is coming hard after us. Jesus didn't say you're not going to have that stuff. He said you're going to have that stuff. 
But what he is going to do in the midst of that is that he is going to keep us. Father, I ask that you keep them. That means I ask that you guard them. It means that in the end, Satan will not be victorious over us. Why? Because of what is about to happen in a matter of hours in Jesus' life. He, Jesus is going to hang on a cross in just a matter of hours. He's going to suffer incredibly for us. He's going to pour out his blood for us. He is going to announce, it is finished! To tell us die. The debt is paid in full. And then he's going to burst out of the bonds of that grave and he's going to rise victorious over death and hell and Satan. And there is nothing that Satan and the world can do about that. And so he prays for our security. And then he prays for our unity. You see in verses 21 through 23, I want you to look at, if you've got your Bible, in fact, I'll tell you, if you've got your pew Bible, you can do this in the pew Bible. Verses 21 through 23, circle this word, circle this word, that they all may be one. Circle that word. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 22, that the glory that you have given me, I've given to them so that they may be Say it. One. Circle that word. Even as we are one. Verse 23, the next verse. I and them and you and me that they may be become perfectly what? One. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you love them even if you love me. Three verses, three times, he says that they may all be one. Verse 21, verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may be perfectly one. So I think it is pretty safe to say that Jesus is serious about unity among his followers and in the church. Amen? He's serious about that. Why is that such a big deal? Why would Jesus, when he's praying, remember, this is the section where he's praying for us. So a couple of thousand years ago, he looked down the corridors of time and saw First Baptist Church Flora sitting here and said, Lord, I pray that they may be one. Lord, I pray that you'll make them one. Lord, I pray that you'll make them perfectly one. Why does he care about that? A few reasons. Number one, because it is ridiculous for believers to be fighting against each other when we should be fighting together against Satan. Why would we fight each other when we're on the same team? Why do churches do that? When we ought to be uniting together to fight against Satan and all of his evil forces, it just doesn't make sense. Another reason he's so concerned about it is because it shows our true colors. It shows our true colors that we're, when we're not one, that we are more concerned about ourselves, our wants, our desires, and our preferences than we are about the bigger more important, critical kingdom issues of saving lost souls and making disciples. That's why he's concerned about our unity. And it flows right into the next point. He's, concerned, he's praying for our testimony. He prays for our security. He prays for our unity. And then he prays for our testimony. Look at verse 21. The second part of verse 21, he talks about being one. Why? The reason is that they may also be in us and so that the world may believe that you sent me. He said, I want them to be one so that the world will know that you sent me. Look at verse 23. What did he say there? That they may be perfectly one. Why? 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Here's the deal. These two statements in these two verses speak about our testimony. What is our testimony? It's our salvation story of how we came to know Christ and what he means to us now. Now, a lot of times we think about our testimony and we just go back and talk about that time in Bible school when we prayed a prayer and gave our life to Jesus. Well, that time we went to that revival service and the evangelist got up and preached a hellfire and brimstone service and we walked out and gave our life to Jesus. Or the Bill Glass crusade at the Walter Sillers Coliseum at Delta State University when an eight-year-old Johnny Daniels walked down and gave his life to Jesus. That's just part of our testimony. The rest of our testimony is what does Jesus mean to you now? Since that time in my life 50 years ago. What does he mean to us now? And the importance of those two statements that Jesus made in 21 and 23 are that those statements about our testimony are directly connected to our unity that Jesus prayed for us. You see, our testimony is directly connected to and impacted by our unity in the body of Christ. So it will either be a positive impact or it will be a negative impact. So when we think about our testimony, we think of a testimony, we think of speaking about how we came to know Jesus. Already talked about that. When we came to, when we were saved, those circumstances, the circumstances surrounding your salvation experience. But listen to me, you've, some of you have done this before. When you were called to give testimony in a court of law, the lawyers call you to do that because they believe that you have seen something important. And that you have experienced something important that will help them make their case. That's why you give testimony in a court of law. So when the word testimony is used in the New Testament, it speaks of a witness who can provide direct knowledge about a person or about an event. Or it can actually mean the content of what that person speaks about. So hang with me here. I'm almost finished. So here's the point. Testimony. Witness. Jesus is praying for our testimony. When we get, in, get on the witness stand of life and the world is sitting in the jury box, we can say all day that we have a genuine relationship with Jesus. But when the evidence shows that we are not in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, we are perjuring ourselves. You know what perjury means? It means that you're telling a lie after you have taken an oath. You see, when you gave your life to Christ, you made an oath to Jesus. You said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. So for us to live a life otherwise means that we're lying. We took an oath that said something, but now our life shows something else. That's why Jesus is so adamant about praying three different times for our unity. Because he was also praying for our testimony before the world to be true and genuine. Those two are inextricably connected together. Our unity and our testimony. 
But Jesus prayed. You see, he prayed for our security. He prayed for our unity. He prayed for our testimony. And finally, he prayed for our eternity. <laughs> he prayed for our eternity. Look at verse 24 right there. Father, he's praying. Listen, y'all, he's praying this for you and me. 2,000 years ago, he prayed these words for you and me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You know what Jesus is saying there? Man, Jesus wants us to be with him for all eternity. You think you want to go to heaven? Jesus can't wait for you to get there. He is looking forward to you and me if you know Christ. Now, I'm talking to those of you that know Jesus. If you don't know Christ, you're going to miss out on this, okay? Unless you give your life to Jesus. So, but for those of us that know Jesus and know Him, Jesus is praying. He's excited. He's almost giddy with anticipation about that when He tells His Father that He wants us to be with Him. You remember when you were a kid and you, invite, you asked your mom and dad, can I invite... Can I invite so-and-so over to the house? Can he come spend the night? Can she come spend the night? Can they come play? And when mama said yes, when daddy said, you were so excited because they were coming. Couldn't wait for your friend to get there. And that pales in comparison to Jesus saying, I can't wait for y'all to get here. Ooh, I can't wait for you to get here and see the glory that I see. See the glory that I am. See the glory that is in me. I can't wait for you to get here. He desires for us to actually be with Him. He wants us to be with Him. He would take pleasure in us being with Him. He would enjoy us being with Him. That's what, all the, that's what that word means. Our eternity. So Jesus not only prayed for us 2,000 years ago, but he's praying for you right now. He prayed this high priestly prayer 2,000 years ago, but Hebrews 7.25 tells us that right now he is making intercession for you and me right now. He's at the throne of God. He's in the presence of the Father making intercession for us now. He's praying for you right now. He's praying that you'll come to know him if you don't. He's praying for you and for your security in this life. He's praying for the unity of this body of believers. He's praying for your testimony to be strong. And he's praying for our eternity with him to see his glory. I hope that your heart is as encouraged and as excited and is as challenged as mine, knowing that Jesus prayed for us and is praying for us now. So how do you need to respond to him as he prays for you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Father, help us now. During these moments of invitation, Lord, to say yes to you. Whatever that means, Father, I pray that we will say yes. Jesus, thank you for your intercession. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for advocating for us before the Father. Thank you for standing against those accusations from the enemy right now, Lord. So help us to respond in obedience as you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray.